Okay, guys, we're, we're in Lesson 3. We're looking at uh, the second chapter now. And again, I, I just need to um, kind of qualify a couple of things for you as we begin. Last week was kind of a tough lesson because sometimes what we'll do is, and we have another example of it here, is, is we'll go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and we'll quote verse 9, we'll own it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll claim a hold of that. But we'll ignore verse 8 and verse 10. Okay? We're coming into chapter 2 where um, verse 1 will claim, My little children, I run unto you that you sin not, but if you sin, you have an advocate. And, and what I mean that is, is we'll, we'll claim a verse without its context of understanding truly what the whole point of what's being said is. And a lot of times what we'll do is, is we'll claim those verses and use them as an excuse for the junk in our lives. When in reality, when you look at the context of what he's talking about, he wants us to deal with the junk in our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants us to deal with it. He doesn't just want us to live with it. He wants us to deal with it. So we're going to see that especially as we get into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, because he's going to go back to what he just talked about as a reason for some of the things he's going to share with you today. Now here, let me help you to, to, to understand that. When you read a verse in the Bible, our tendency is to grab a hold of a verse and claim it for ourselves and say, okay, that's it. But you, don't, you won't truly understand what a verse is saying until you look at the context. And so, if you take the text out of the context, you're left with a what? A con. Do you, do you understand? You're just conning yourself. You've got to understand what the writer is saying within the context of everything that he's saying here. And what he's talking about here is, is that if you're professing one thing in your life, but your life is reflecting something else, you're deceiving yourself. And not only that, verse 10 says, you make Christ a liar. So now he gets to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So let's look at what he's saying here. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Alright, so the first section we're going to do is we're just going to look at the first part of verse 1, and we're going to see the writer's purpose here. The writer's purpose. So John addresses his readers with an affectionate term. John addresses his readers with an affectionate term. So like the tone of the letter, he's not going to be like, sometimes I struggle with my tone. I've got this German thing going on, and even, as, even if I try to be compassionate, I don't come across as compassionate. I mean, that's just me, all right? John wants to convey a tone here in the letter. And so he's going to convey it with a very intimate term here, my children. You've got to understand, at this point, this letter was written about A.D. 90. And A.D. 30, scholars think that John was about 16 or 17. 
80-30. So you add on about 50 years. So by this point, he's in his mid-60s, maybe early 70s. Early 70s, we don't know for sure. So he's, at the, which is way beyond the age of anybody who lives in that time period. So he's an elder. In fact, the other letters, he describes himself as the elder. He's the last surviving apostle at this point. And so when he's talking to somebody, he's not talking down to them. He's talking to them kind of like a spiritual father. Okay, so he says, my children. So he's addressing them with an affectionate term. All right, he goes on. This reflects his concern for the reader's spiritual well-being. So when he's writing these things, he's not, he's not wanting to put you down, put his thumb on you, you know, keep you down because he's up here and you need to be down here. No, no, he, he's, he's writing these things and he's expressing this, my children, because he's, he's very concerned about your spiritual well-being. He's concerned about how you live your life. He's concerned about how I live my life. He's concerned about that. So here's what his purpose is. John wants his readers to consider the reason for his prior teaching. And what prior teaching? Well, verses 5 through 10. Specifically, verses 6 through 10. He wants them to consider the reason for his prior teaching. So he's referring to his teaching in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Remember that was that hard lesson last week? Remember I shared with you that it's going to be very difficult for some of you who cling to, I mean, I believe in eternal security. That's what we believe as a church here. However, eternal security is not an excuse for sin. The way I hear eternal security expounded by a lot of people, it's like, once saved, always saved, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Because over and over in the New Testament, if your life reflects something else, there's something wrong. In fact, Jesus said, can a good tree bear bad fruit? No, a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruits you shall know them, Jesus said. So by their actions, by their life, you're going to understand who they are. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, how many of you, I mean, it's strawberry season... Getting ready to be strawberry season. That's a wonderful time of year, isn't it? Boy, I love those strawberries. Love that jam Lori makes. Now, when we go get strawberries, she's not looking for strawberries on a tree. Where is she going to find strawberries at? On a strawberry plant. Do you understand? The whole point is, is who you are is reflected in how you live. This is what he's trying to tell you here. He's trying to get you to understand his teaching from the prior passage, that if you say this, you say you're okay, you don't have any sin, you're a liar. You make Christ a liar. So, he has a purpose, John has a purpose in writing these things to his readers. So, he's just not there to make you feel bad. He's just not there to whoop up on you spiritually, like take you out to the uh, woodshed and, t- and take the spiritual paddle to you. He's just not saying all this stuff to 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 beat you down, he's got a purpose in what he wants to do here. So that's what we're going to look at here. The last part of verse 1 and verse 2 is the encouragement. He's going to get to the reason why he's telling you these things. He's going to get to the reason. So the first part of verse is that you abandon sin. 
Look at what he says. My little children, these things I write to you. Notice that key word there, key phrase, so that. So you think that has an importance there? I'm writing these things to you, verse 6 through 10, so that, so that's something I've got to do with it. Look at what he says. So that you may not, what? Sin. He's talking about abandoning sins. He writes these things so that believers would not sin. See, he wants you to grasp a hold of those truths in verses 6 through 10 so that you stop sinning. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that you get, you get a grip on your behavior. You get a grip on your attitude. You get a grip on the way that you're living. And you begin to recognize what's going on here. Here's why. Because understanding the truths of 1 John 6 through 10 results in what? The rejection of sin. The rejection of sin. Now here's the difficulty. Because everybody would say, okay, I understand he wants me to quit sinning. But nobody can do that. Does everybody understand me? I know there are some denominations that teach perfection. That's not possible in this age. Perfection comes when you go to be with Jesus, when you get a new body. Because right now, Paul will tell you in Romans that you embody a, a body of flesh that is geared towards sin. And so there's this struggle going on within you between the spirit and, and the flesh. So you're going to sin. But he's writing these things so that you stop sinning. He's writing these things so that you get a grip on it and reject the sin in your life. Why? Because if you understand what he's talking about in verses 6 through 10, you're going to understand that the sin that I'm committing or I'm engaged in or that I'm enslaved to does not reflect who I am in Jesus. And that I, and the stuff that I consider acceptable. Do you know you've got sins in your life that you consider acceptable? You know that? What's it in your life? See, you've got acceptable things that you, it's like, you know, being rude is okay. You know? Whatever. I mean, you've got family things that it's okay. That's just my family clan's thing. Or, you know, we used to say stuff like with anger issues. Well, I'm a redhead. Well, what does that mean? You know, who cares? You're not doing right. We make excuses. Here's what he's saying. So if we say we have no sin, he's talking about sin in general in our lives. If we're saying we're doing okay, we're not. We're, we're lying to ourselves. Because the reality is, is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And if we say we're doing okay, we make Christ a liar. Because he went to the cross to die for the fact that we were what? Sinners in need of grace. If you get to the place where you're thinking you're doing okay, you have no need for grace. You make Christ a liar. He wants us to understand these things. Why? Because he wants us to get to the place where we hate what we're doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where we get sick of what we're doing. And we long for something more. And we reject it. See, here's the thing. Everybody of you are going to sin. I'm going to sin. I probably have sinned today. I just probably don't know it can't think of anything blatant I've done yet, but I'm sure I've done something because there are sins of ignorance and there are sins where we willfully sin. Does everybody understand that? We sin. That's our nature. And so for me, especially as I'm getting older, I thought about this the other day. How many of you heard this week the uh, the film critic 
what's his name, Ebert, died, you know? And, and that really struck me. You're like, what? Some film critic's death struck you? Yeah, because I remember as a kid watching Cisco and Ebert on TV to, get, to hear the reviews of movies. So then I started thinking about, you know what, man, I'm 47 years old. I remember when John Wayne died. And I started thinking about all of these guys that were adults and people you looked up to, they're all dying off. And if they're dying off, I'm dying off too. And, and so you begin to think about life. And so then, you know, the next thought enters into, yeah, but when I die, it's going to be freedom. Freedom from my body. Freedom from the sin that enslaves me. You know what I'm saying? He wants us to reject our sin because he wants us to long for something more. I think the problem with some of us is we get too comfortable with here. Do you know what I'm saying? We get too comfortable with here. He, we want to have the attitude like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. You know, and, and Paul, when he says in Philippians, he says, you know, there's a struggle. He says, I know I've got stuff to do here, but I long to be with Jesus. Why? Because I think he had an understanding of where he was at. That's why he would say, I mean, think about it. He would say things like, he's the chief of sinners. Now, we're, you know, in our self-help, feel-good-about-ourselves culture that we live in, you never hear anybody say they're the chief of sinners anymore, do they? No. So he's got a purpose in writing these things. So he's telling them to abandon uh, abandon their sin. Why? Because John recognizes that believers will sin. His whole point is there, he's telling you not to sin. Why? Because he knows you're going to. Well, if he knows I'm going to, why is he telling me something that's impossible for me to do? Well, he wants you to be aware of what you're doing, because we can sin mindlessly. Do you know what I'm saying? We can, we can have a concept of just doing things without being aware of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how many of you ever had this happen in your life? You know, you were raised a certain way, and uh, maybe you did something, you know, you did whatever, and, and until somebody pointed something out to you, you just didn't think anything was wrong with it. You know, you just carried on that way. You know, like, for instance, Lori's done that many times in my life. I remember when we were dating. Uh, you know, my, my, my parents didn't tell me how to dress, okay? My family didn't tell me how to dress. I just wore blue jeans and a shirt, okay? So I went to a school where I was required to wear a tie to class all the time, okay? To wear slacks and a tie. So one day I get up and I put my shirt on, and it's a, a checkered shirt, and I put a striped tie on. And I, I've gone to class many times, but nobody ever said anything. But I dated Lori, and she says, you know, that doesn't go together. <laughs> really? Okay, that's the last time I ever wore a striped tie with a checkered shirt, okay? Did you know what I'm saying? Because I became aware that that was wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? That, that doesn't, that's not aesthetically nice, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it was. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. So, I mean, you've had that happen in your life, right? You've had people say to you, "No, you shouldn't be doing that." You know, 
This is John's purpose here. He's saying you're, you're going to sin. But you need to be aware of it in your life. You just can't keep going on mindlessly about it. And let's be honest, that's what we do, don't we? I mean, that's what I do. It's mindless. I've got to be more aware. But you can say, okay, well, that's pretty defeating, though. He's telling me to stop. I'm going to sin. Yeah, but John, John's realistic here. Because look at the last part of verse 1. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Here's the other thing. John points out that a sinning believer has an advocate. Now this is what's so awesome. This is what should encourage you to keep going and keep stopping. But sometimes the mentality is, well, I don't need to worry about it. Well, if you've got that attitude, there's a problem. He's already talked about that earlier. But if you're going to be serious about your walk with Jesus, if you're going to be serious about your spiritual life, yeah, you're going to quit. You're going to try to quit the sinning. You're going to try to deal with the junk in your life. But you also know that you are human and you're going to fail. And so what he says to you is, is that, yeah, and if you do fail, if you do sin, and you will. I mean, you pull out of here, somebody cuts you off down at the light. I'm sure somebody's going to have an attitude here. Maybe say some things they shouldn't say. You know what I'm saying? If you sin... Here's the comfort. You got an advocate. So pick yourself up and keep going on. See, what can happen is, as we get into the mentality, well, is this the sin that does me in? Is this the sin that I lose? Lose it? No, no, no. But if you've got an attitude of doing what's right, even if you stumble, You've got an advocate. Now, the term advocate here is sort of like a lawyer. Okay? Now, okay, let's stop for a moment because some of you, I've dealt with lawyers. I don't like them. Okay? I understand that. That's our cultural perspective. But here's what, what he does. He's an advocate. He speaks to the Father. So, the next point I want you to see here is, is that Jesus Christ is the believer's advocate before God the Father. I gave you, uh, there's a verse of scripture there in your handout there, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Listen to what it says here. If you want to understand what Jesus does, the writer of Hebrews is saying this about Christ. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God. So he's able to save you to the uttermost. doesn't matter what you've done, he's able to save you. Then notice what he says here. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that awesome? Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for you. So, I mean, here, picture this. It's, you know, it's not like this in heaven where God the Father sees you and you mess up. And Jesus' attitude is, oh, man, you mean i got to go talk about him again? Okay, Father, I took care of that, but, you know, maybe we can get his act together. I mean, that's not the attitude. The attitude is, I took care of that on the cross. I died for him. 
In fact, turning your Bibles to Zechariah, let me give you an Old Testament illustration of what I'm talking about. Chapter 3. It's one of the minor prophets. You go back to Matthew, go back to Malachi, go back to Zechariah, chapter 3. This is a beautiful illustration in the Old Testament of what we're talking about as Jesus being your advocate. Okay? And here's what Zechariah wrote, verses 1 to 5. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Let me just stop for a moment. Many times in the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, and the people, how they respond to the angel of the Lord, it's that they're talking about that they see God. So many scholars, and I'm one of those, who believes that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Christ. It's the second person of the Trinity. Okay? It's the Son. All right? So... The high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, and Satan at his right hand to oppose him. Now look at what happens. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He's talking about Joshua, the high priest. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? A brand is like a piece of wood. Is this not a piece of wood that was plucked from the fire? What's, the illustration is this, is this not something that was grasped out of the fires of hell? Alright, let's go on here. Look at what it says. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. That illustration is throughout the New, Old and New Testament is, is that he's, his, his, he doesn't have any righteousness. His sin has stained him. And he's standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And, he, and to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. Look at what it says. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head, and they put clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. That's what an advocate is, folks. That's what an advocate is. He's telling you, don't sin. But if you sin, because that's normal, that's going to happen. You've got an advocate. You've got somebody right there. Because, look, notice something. Satan has many names in the scripture. One of his names is he's called the what? The accuser of what? The brethren. Satan accuses you. You think nobody saw what you did? You thought, you're the only one who knows? You're not the only one who knows. Satan knows what you did. His minions know what you did. And guess what? He's given a full report. You ever had somebody do that? You know, you, your kids, you know, you got kids, and, and, and the neighbor kid comes over, and you won't believe what little Jimmy did. Oh, yeah, t- take a hide, I know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And then you Somebody told me you did something. I mean, you discipline them, but you still don't like somebody telling you, right? And that's what Satan does. He's kind of like the kid next door tattling. But when he comes and tattles, guess who's there standing right at the right hand of the Father? Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. Are they not a brand plucked from the fire? Isn't that awesome? Folks, that just... I'm just overwhelmed by that. 
Are they not a brand plucked from, are, are we not brands plucked from the fire? I mean, you didn't jump out of the fire yourself, okay? Are we not brands plucked from the fire? That's an awesome thought. This is Jesus. This is the encouragement. So, because you understand what he's saying here. Look, you deal with it. You overcome it. In fact, that's what sanctification is, folks. Do you understand? The whole time between when you got saved until when you go to be with Jesus and you're glorified, that process is called sanctification, where you begin to deal with the junk in your life to become like Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't give up. This is what he's encouraging you here for. In fact, he goes on and says, the reason why he is an advocate for you, let's look at verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Here's what propitiation is. In fact, that's the section there, wrath satisfier. He satisfies the wrath of God. So let's look here. Jesus is our advocate because he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a big Bible word. It's a theological term. For some reason, that, that's really a holdover from our King James. Even in our modern translations, they use this word. So you, but most people have no clue what that when they read that word. What is propitiation? Well, here's what it is. Propitiation means the atoning sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice. So, okay, the Jews celebrate the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, they sacrifice a lamb for what? Sin. And they make atonement. That is, they deal with the sins of their, their sins on the Day of Atonement. Jesus made the sacrifice for our sin once and for all. We don't have to keep going and sacrificing another lamb. First of all, as Gentiles, we couldn't do that anyhow. He made the complete sacrifice for our sins where? On the cross. Once and for all. So, here's what I want you to see. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what he's saying. The reason why he's an advocate is that he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when he's standing there and saying this is a fire plucked from, this is a brand plucked from the fire, he's saying, I took care of that. I took care of their sin. I took care of it on the cross. That's an awesome thought. Did you understand what I'm saying? Now, the dangerous thing is when we use that as a license to go do what we want to do. Do you understand? That's, we're disrespecting what he did for us. And that's where John is saying in verses 6 through 10, you, you haven't grasped it. Truth's not in you. You make him a liar. Okay? So here's what he's saying. As the atoning sacrifice, he satisfies God's wrath. As the atoning sacrifice, he satisfies God's wrath. So here's the thing. When you stand before Jesus, and you have trusted in him, Jesus, when you stand before God, in the judgment, so actually Jesus on the white throne, there isn't going to be, you've got to pay for the junk you've done. It's already been paid for. Now you may have to answer for it, you may have to, I mean, it's not going to be like washed away, it's not going to be talked about. When your life is revealed, it's all going to be there. You're going to feel shame. But for you and I as believers, it's been taken care of. It's been taken care of. See, this is what our faith is in. Our faith is in that he took care of it. We don't have to take care of it ourselves. Do you understand? 
That's what our faith is in. So as the atoning sacrifice, he satisfied God's wrath. Here's the other thing. His sacrifice was not only for believers, but for the whole world. John says very clearly, but not only for us, but for who? The whole world. So what he did is not just for you and I, it's for everyone. He, he makes it available to everyone. Now, this verse is not saying something, though. This does not mean that everyone will be saved. This is not what he's saying here. He's saying that Jesus' sacrifice is so all-encompassing that his atonement is available to all to take care of all the sins of the world. But not everybody will be saved, because not everybody's going to accept that atonement. Because you have to accept it by what? Faith. You have to appropriate it for yourself by faith. You have to believe that the reason why I'm going to be able to stand in the last judgment is not because of me, because I've got the right education, because I came from the right family, or I went to the right church, or I lived on the right side of the railroad tracks. It's not going to have anything to do with any of that, because I was pretty good, wasn't an axe murderer. No, it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the reason why I'm able to stand in front of you, Jesus, is not because of my righteousness. Because what does Isaiah say? Our righteousness is but as what? Filthy rags. It is because of whose righteousness? I am close. Remember, go back to that illustration of Zechariah. I'm going to stand there with what? Filthy garments, and it's going to be what? Take away those garments. In fact, they're already taken away, folks. You've been given new garments. Isn't that awesome? Okay? Hope you like white. Okay? Hope you like white. What does it mean? It means that Jesus died for everyone. That's what he's saying here. Jesus died for everyone. Not just in a select few. He died for everyone. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. But he died for everyone. Okay. 